The following program is a presentation of Grand Slam Ministries. Hi again, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of The Dan Scott Show, presented as always, and as you just heard, by Grand Slam Ministries. Welcome to episode 50, a nice, even, round number. Can you believe we are two episodes away from completing a full year of what I still consider to be a brand new venture, this this radio show and nonprofit organization, Grand Slam Ministries. I still believe we are in our infancy, but I think 50 episodes is a milestone. I'm a huge fan of old-time radio uh, when there was no television, so people got their entertainment through radio shows like the Jack Benny Show and Fibber McGee and Molly and Dragnet and The Shadow and shows like that. And those seasons in those days, and it actually transitioned into the very early days of television, ran 39 weeks. They did 39 straight weeks and then took a 13-week break from late spring or early summer into the early part of fall, and then they would start a new season of 39 episodes. We're at episode 50, and we are just continuing to go because God continues to bless this thing and just is dropping incredible guest after incredible guest into our lap. And today is no exception. We're going to spend some time with Richard Blackaby on this week's edition of the show. More about him in a a moment. I do want to ask you to stay tuned at the end of the show because we have some specific details on our Uh, family that we are going to help, actually two families. We've already been able to do what's needed for one, but the second one is going to be a significant undertaking, and time is of the essence, and and, uh, we're asking for you to come alongside and provide some assistance for that. So I'll tell you about that in the final segment of the show, but first we're going to take a break, and then we'll come back and get into this week's interview with Richard Blackaby. All that ahead. Don't go away. Is there someone in your life who has been a spiritual mentor? An influence so great that you'd love to find a way to honor them? For a gift of $200 or more to Grand Slam Ministries, you can dedicate a segment of The Dan Scott Show to that very special person. Honor someone who is currently in your life or remember the legacy of a loved one who has passed. Make your gift online at grandslamministries.org and we will send you an information form which will allow you to tell us all about this special person, how and why they were a spiritual influence, their favorite Bible verses, and anything else that you would like to share. In doing so, you'll be covering our cost of one week's production, helping ensure The Dan Scott Show stays on air and continues to share stories of loved ones like yours. In addition, you'll get your own copy of the program in which your loved one's story airs, either by MP3 or CD. Help the legacy of your spiritual mentor reach others with your gift of $200 or more today. Do so online at grandslamministries.org. That's grandslamministries.org. Like what you hear? Have a question or comment? Maybe a guest suggestion? Drop us an email and let us know. Dan at danscottshow.org. And now, back to the Dan Scott Show, presented by Grand Slam Ministries. Episode 50 of the Dan Scott Show. Next week, we are going to have a very special Christmas edition of the show because it will be airing... uh, on Christmas Eve and, and the day before Christmas Eve, depending on your, your local market. So think, Mary, did you know? I'll just kind of leave it at that. Just a reminder that everything that we have done in the previous 49 weeks is all available at danscottshow.org. 
Go to the Affiliates and Archives page, and you can access all of that. You can also access some bonus stuff off of my SoundCloud, which is there as well. You can find out where the show airs live, in what markets, and what times. And uh, just any questions that you may have, you can contact us through there, or as always, dan at danscottshow.org. Richard Blackaby has uh, taken up the mantle of... uh, Blackaby Ministries from his father, Henry, and if you know anything about uh, leadership in the Christian world, if you know anything about Christian literature over the uh, the past quarter century or so, you have undoubtedly uh, heard and maybe even have read the book Experiencing God by Henry Blackaby. Richard has written a number of books on his own. He has co-authored books with his father. Experiencing God, though, is the one that has kind of transcended everything else that they've done, and and we talk about that at the end of this interview. But Richard has taken up the mantle, and uh, his, his ministry individually as well as Blackaby Ministries collectively has continued to grow. It has continued to bless lives, and He has moved into the realm of leadership training above and beyond anything else, both in the pastoral world and in the secular world. So we talk about all of that and much more on this week's interview. Here is my conversation with Richard Blackaby. Well, I'm a president of Blackaby Ministries International. I took over from my dad back in 2006 and that means that uh, I spend a lot of time writing and speaking, traveling around the world. And about half my time, I work with leaders in churches, uh, pastors, church leaders, uh, denominational leaders, nonprofit leaders. And uh, the other half, I work with business leaders in the marketplace. And it's a, it's really been enjoyable to flit back and forth between those two worlds and see how leadership in, in many ways looks very similar, whether you're in the marketplace or you're in the church. And yet as a Christian, there's some distinctives about Christian leadership that are different than the way the world does things. How much of the business leadership that you come across actually uses biblical principles in those businesses? Well, you know, what you find is that the biblical principles are they're universal and they work. And so sometimes secular folks don't even realize that's what they're doing. They just know that when you treat people well, it works. <laughs> they don't realize it's a, or you, they, they, they think they've discovered something new and they realize doing business with integrity is, is a good thing. And then they discover, well, there's Bible verses that have been telling people to do that for years. Uh, but there are some distinctives too about uh, Christian leadership. And, and that's why a lot of these, uh, business people will come to me and, um, and they're very good at selling things. They're very good at investing, making money, but they know that there's, they've been trained to do things the world's way. And they just have a, a sense in their heart that as a Christian, there's some things that ought to be different about how a Christian does business, how a Christian treats people. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes even in churches, uh, people are leading the world's way instead of God's way. Yeah, that that is a whole conversation that we could spend a, a lot of time <laughs> on if we if we wanted to go down that road. So as uh, I've been following you on, on Facebook and Twitter for a while now, so we have uh, a couple of things in common. Uh, number one, we're both preacher sons. Yeah. And, and uh, not maybe to the point that Franklin Graham's, you know, dad was Billy Graham, but still your father, uh, Henry, was 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 and, and still is quite prominent. Uh, and then we also have, uh, Richard, the uh, love of stupid humor <laughs> in, in common. Some of the things that I see you post on Facebook and Twitter I, are, are very eerily similar to the type of things that I post as well. <laughs> well, I'll have to see where you're getting your counseling from that. Maybe I'll try the same. <laughs> Uh, how how is your dad? I, I see you post about him uh, occasionally. Uh, of course, he's been a uh, just a, a beacon for a lot of people for a lot of years. How's he doing? Yeah, he's uh, 88 years old now and definitely slowed down. Uh, you know, for years and years, I didn't know any human being that was as busy as he was. I, he was like a machine. He just went and went and went, traveled the world, spoke, uh, could speak just for hours a day, uh, was just 
inundated with people needing him, wanting to engage with him. Um, and, and, but he's, we've discovered he's just as mortal as all the rest of us. And, uh, so now he's pretty sedentary. I can't really speak, uh, anymore. It doesn't really travel anymore. Uh, but still, uh, very joyful, very content. He's always been content when he was called to Canada to pastor 10 cantankerous people in a dying church. Uh, he was just as happy and content as when he was being invited to speak in the White House. You know, he just, every day it's, well, what does God have for me today? And so even in his sort of declining years, he's pretty well the same. He's just content for what God has for him that day. Um, and it's, you know, I, it's hard when you, when you, your, your father's a giant uh, to watch him just being very mortal. But, but at the same time, I feel very fortunate to have had that heritage. You know, the the contentment thing, I'm smiling as you're talking about that because I think we all really desire contentment in our lives. And, and yet, as the Apostle Paul wrote, contentment is something you learn. It's not something mm-hmm. that just happens. You you have to learn to be content in your circumstances. Yeah, and it's a it's a perspective. It's not it's not a financial status. <laughs> It's not if you just have this much money or this house or you only have, you know, you you get to retire early, then you can be content. You you can be in very difficult circumstances and be perfectly content. And and, and that's something I've learned from my parents. They they were always joyful people. And I mean, we when we lived in dire poverty as church planters in a, on a mission field, um, our house still resonated with laughter all the time. It was still the happiest place to to be, even if we were the poorest family on the whole street. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I just kind of learned that my, my parents were just all in at whatever point in life they happened to be in at the moment. Did you resist initially the calling to follow, uh, follow in your father's footsteps into the ministry? Because, I mean, there, there are some cases where sons are, are dying to do what they're their father yeah. did and there are others who are trying to resist it at every urge where did you fall on that scale yeah well uh i was the firstborn of five kids and so firstborn son lots of people just expected that i'd be the follow my father's footsteps and be a pastor and and i i uh i did uh when i got into university i i really was resisting that and not because i thought it was a bad thing i respected my dad greatly but i Number one, I didn't see that I was nearly the man of God my father was, and number two, I my I'd seen the sacrifices uh, that my parents had willingly made to serve God, and I just wasn't quite sure at that stage of my life I I wanted to go down that road, and uh, but three, I I grew up in Canada, and and Christians were definitely the minority there, especially evangelical Christians, and um, and so. Most of my schooling, I was like the lone Christian pretty well. And, and, I, and, and I'd faced a lot of persecution, a lot of uh, just criticism and so on, just because I was a Christian. Not, not only was I Christian, my dad was a pastor. And so I just got kind of tired of standing out. And I just, it wasn't that I wanted to go use drugs or anything or, or steal stuff. I just, just didn't want to, I just want to be ordinary. Just want to be just like everybody else. And, uh, not be the super spiritual guy you had to be to be a, a pastor. And uh, so I, when I got to university, I, I, I was still going to church, uh, trying to be a good person, but I was just like, God, just kind of leave me alone. Let me just enjoy being a, a, you know, college student. And basically one day I had what I would describe as probably the most terrifying experience in my life. And it, it, God got my attention. God has a way. I think God loves to just speak in a still small voice, but he can raise his voice if he needs to, Mm -hmm. to get your attention. And, uh, he got my attention and I, I, the next Sunday I was down at the front of the church saying I'm all in. And, uh, and that was actually the very first time that my dad ever talked to me about a call to ministry. He never brought it up, never pressured me in any way. Um, and interestingly, all five of, for myself and my siblings, all five of us went into full-time ministry and 40 years or so later, we're all, all five of us are still in it. So, uh, and now all three of my kids are in ministry. So 
you know, you, you would think there's a lot of pressure put on, but actually dad sort of steered clear. And, 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 and when I finally did talk to him, he said, well, I've always known that God was calling you into ministry. And I said, well, why didn't you ever talk to me about it? He said, well, I, I wanted you to hear it from God first. Should I ask what that was that happened that you called terrifying, or do we need to just leave uh, that alone and move well, on? Uh, yeah, you can. Um, well, uh, it was late at night on a Saturday night, and uh, uh, and I wasn't doing horrible things, but we were really getting into some some different things, some really edgy kinds of music and uh, stuff that was uh, uh, really w- w- kind of was bringing us pretty close into some pretty satanic evil kinds of uh dimensions and uh late one saturday night my best friend knocked at my door and he was white as a ghost and uh just trembling and just i'll never forget the look in his eyes he was he was terrified and and i would just say i I don't think he was demon possessed but i think he had he had gotten as close to evil as uh, he he dared and he got closer than he thought he would and uh and he was scared to death and um he just he needed help he he stuff was happening that he that terrified him and so he'd come to to his best friend to help him and and I'd been just pretty careless in my walk with God but I uh, got my two brothers just under me so the four of us were down in our basement uh and we're trying to pray for him and trying to find some freedom and release and he is just stiff as a board. His I'll never forget the look in his eyes, just terrified, white as could be, trembling, and nothing we did. Seemed, it just seemed like things were getting worse and worse. And finally, it's 2.30 in the morning, and um, it's it's Sunday morning, 2.30 a.m., and I all I, I, we lived still down in the basement of my parents' house. I, I went upstairs. I woke my dad up. He's a pastor. He's got to preach that morning. Mm-hmm. And two thirty, I I just I woke him up. Said, "Dad, Dad, what's what, son? What's what's going on? Dad, I need you to get up." Said, "Dad, it's, it's Richard. It's two thirty in the morning. Yeah, we got someone here that really needs help, Dad. I, you really, we really need you. Well, can he? He's Dad said, "Well, can he come by in the morning? Can he can he come by after church tomorrow?" I, I said, "No, he's in the basement. He he he. he we really, Dad, we desperately need you to intervene right now." So. He gets out of bed from a dead sleep, uh, 2.30 in the morning, says, well, bring him upstairs. And he, th- at this point, my friend couldn't even walk. They they literally, my two brothers dragged him up the basement stairs, dragged him through the kitchen, dragged him into the, the, the living room, propped him in a chair. And then my two brothers and I, we just took off. We didn't know, we didn't know what was going to happen, but we did not want to be there when it did. And so we all, we all went back downstairs, just left him with my dad. He is just awakened from a dead sleep. About 30 minutes later, my dad calls down in the basement, tells us to come up, and uh, and we did. And, our, we, of course, we looked to our friend, perfectly at peace, perfectly calm, smiling, relieved. And uh, and so now it's over three, past 3 in the morning. Uh, Dad just sat us all down. We had this little meeting at 3 in the morning on Sunday. And Dad just said, boys, you can't be careless with your walk with God. Because you never know when a friend's going to knock on your door, desperate for a man of God or woman of God to help him, and you have to be ready. You can't you can't play catch up in those moments. You got to be where God wants you and needs you to be. And and so that was that was a wake up call for me and my brothers. All three of us got serious with God after that. We all, all three of us have been in ministry uh, all of our adult lives, and uh, but it was a it was a terrifying moment. And I guess the thing that terrified me the most was that. When my friend needed me, I was spiritually powerless. Hmm. I, I remember praying uh, for him, and I prayed the best prayer I could possibly pray in Jesus' name, and and um, and I just felt like my prayers were bouncing off the ceiling tile. It's like I just knew that I was just saying words, but there was no power whatsoever. And I just thought, God, I don't want to ever be powerless like that again. And uh, so that was a pivotal moment for my life. Um, and you know, by the way, what's interesting is that so that next Sunday I walked the aisle. My dad's the pastor. I, I I took my dad by the hand, said, "Dad, God's calling me to ministry. I'm I'm not going to run anymore." And, and that's actually when Dad told me that he he'd known all my life. I'm standing at the front of the church, <laughs> first time we talked about it. Uh, and then Dad said, uh, "Richard, what, he he clo- he stopped the the music and everything. He, I, when I finished talking to my dad, I just 
beetled back to the back of the auditorium, sat back down in my seat like there, I got that out of the way. I told my pastor I'm, I'm in. Well, dad stops the whole service and says, uh, we've had a young man come this morning. I just like him to share, uh, what, what he told me. And, and, and one of the main reasons I didn't want to be a pastor was I didn't want to have to speak in public. I hated that. I didn't think I was any good at it. And, uh, and so I don't, I don't even go back to the front of the church. I just stand up and, from my seat. And I just said, in maybe 30 seconds or less, I said, I, I've been running from God. I'm not going to run anymore. And I sat down. I thought, there, I did it. And so they're about to kind of close the service. And then another college student stands up and he says, well, wait a minute. Uh, I've been running from God and I don't want to run anymore. And uh, and then another guy gets up and says, I I know God wants me to be baptized. I've never been baptized. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not running anymore. And so my dad gets the pianist to start playing music again and the whole altar just flooded with people getting right with God. And so for me, it was a very impactful moment because just the night before I'd been so powerless, I couldn't, I could, my prayers couldn't help a guy that was in distress. And the next morning as I'm just telling people I'm going with Jesus, the whole altar floods with people that want to go in response to what I've just said. And I, so that was very, uh, very formative uh, in my life, my ministry. And it's kind of been that way ever since. I, When I'm walking with the Lord, boy, God does powerful things. You know, my real job, uh, as we're trying to grow our nonprofit here, uh, is doing play-by-play for Furman University and, and for uh, the Greenville Drive minor league baseball team. So I'm supposed to be, Richard, someone who's really good at observation. Because mm-hmm. you you have to tell your listening audience what's going on. So as I'm watching you relive that story, I don't know how often that you actually tell that. But as I'm I'm watching you, and we're doing this via Zoom for those who are listening, I, I get the sense that you were kind of reliving it there for a moment. As I'm watching your your uh, your, your expressions and and your gestures, it, it it seemed like that moment became real again. Uh, and I I don't tell that story all that often. It's not that I'm unwilling to I just it's a long time ago and uh and and some people just really aren't quite sure how to take that I'm I'm not entirely sure what all was happening that (laughs) that night but I just know we were the three of us the four of us were terrified by something beyond us uh happening so I but yeah so I I mean the bottom line is we all got scared and we all got right with God soon after (laughs) but you know what He, he will use whatever it takes. Sometimes you said he'll raise his voice and it, obviously that's what it took for you. And we don't have time to get into it, but similar with, with my testimony, being a preacher's son who ran for a long, long time, he had to mm-hmm. in effect, raise his voice to get my attention as well. We're visiting with, uh, Richard Blackaby, uh, who is, I guess, kind of taking that mantle from his dad. You talked about all the traveling and everything he did, uh, and you're doing the same thing now, as we just detailed right at the beginning of the show. You're always on the road. You're traveling nationally, internationally, speaking, doing all of these things that that you just talked about. Do you ever get tired? Uh, yeah. I've, in fact, uh, before uh, our, our, our call today, I was uh, filling out government forms to go to South Africa, and it's uh, – that's a lot from Atlanta to Johannesburg, the longest flight Delta uh, flies, and uh, and I'm you know it's, it's it, it can be kind of wearying at times when uh, you're flying through all kinds of time zones and you mm-hmm. hit the ground and you're speaking you know an hour or two later you've got time to shave in your hotel room and clean up brush your teeth before they whisk you off to your first engagement uh that that does wear you out uh and i'm i'm kind of getting to and i and i watched my dad i think just physically just uh almost abused his body he went so hard and so i'm trying to learn some of that you know how to not do that or how to protect myself a little bit better but uh yeah there's there's moments uh especially this time of year now just got back from a, a trip last night and uh and so when I'm home, it always feels there's nothing like being home. <laughs> I've been to some really exotic places around the world. I still, I, nothing makes my heart sing like walking in my own door and knowing I'm going to get in my own bed tonight. Absolutely. Um, last night, we're, as we're recording this um, uh, on Friday, December the 1st, uh, you spoke uh, at, at the Billy Graham Center 
and, and you mm-hmm. spoke to a military chaplains from from both the U.S. and Canada, and it's something you've done for a number of years, uh, which tells yeah. me that's something that has really captured your heart. Yeah, I, years ago, the Billy Graham organization just really wanted to do something to minister to military chaplains, and uh, that, that I don't know, that was at least 15, 16 years ago. I've lost track now, but uh, but they uh, they they they'll pay to fly these uh, chaplains and their spouses uh, to Asheville, North Carolina. They'll provide a incredible retreat for them uh, free of charge. They just love on them and bless them. And, and somehow I was on the radar. I wasn't one of the original speakers invited to come in and be a part of that conference. And uh, then they just kept asking me back. And so for the last maybe decade or more, um, my job is for three mornings, each morning um, I do a, about 40, 45 minute, uh, Bible devotional for them. And, uh, you know, when I, when we first started doing that, they were coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan. And I remember asking one chaplain just how, how the year been. And he just said, I'm empty. I forget now. He said he'd done like 34, 48 or something like that. Funerals of servicemen in his unit that had died in active combat and, uh, or committed suicide and or died various ways. And, they just, they said, I, he said, I'm just empty. And uh, so I, my heart just went out to them. It's just a very, very unique, you know, way. I mean, some of these chaplains are choosing to go out on patrol with some, with their men, knowing they might hit a landmine or something and uh, uh, become under fire by a, a drone or missile attack or something. And, and they're, they're out there trying to be with their people. And it's just a very, very unique kind of ministry. And so, uh, I've just kind of committed myself. I'll always say yes. Uh, if And when I'm there, I'll just tell the chaplains every meal, just come get me if you want me to sit with you. And he just want to share with me what's going on. And uh, and so I tell you, I, I, it's always very rich for me, but it's I'm usually emptied out by the time I come back because uh, right, right till I'm headed to the airport, there's people telling me their story and I'm trying to encourage them. And of course, they're deployed sometimes for months away from their family or they're about every three years or so they're moving their family to some other part of the world and just a lot of unusual kinds of experiences that a lot of ministers wouldn't normally face so that's just it's been kind of a privilege to partner with the billy graham organization and uh and and do this every year when you started you mentioned there was still a lot going on in in iran and iraq um right now perhaps from a, a at least a United States standpoint, not as much combat uh, and, and that kind of intense deployment, but, but still those soldiers and, and the chaplains who are servicing them face their own unique challenges. What, what are the challenges that you are hearing from chaplains, military chaplains now, maybe compared to what it was 15, 16 years ago? Well, I mean, I, w- one thing I would say is that they're very much aware that things could heat up very quickly you know if you're you got navy people there uh, around taiwan and uh you've got people based in the middle east uh i, I talked to a guy who just come back from poland just right station next to ukraine and so they they're very much aware uh, the, enjoy the lag if you're not in active combat at the moment uh because things can change in, a, in very quickly uh, but, uh, but, uh, as well, just this, the, I know it's, there's always been a concern about the suicide rate. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was, I was talking to a chaplain this, this last week, uh, asking if it's much higher than, uh, it is just in the normal population. And, uh, it is quite high. Uh, and they said, particularly among veterans, among people, once they get out of the military, uh, a lot of them suffer from traumatic stress from being in and uh, they have a really hard time acclimatizing back afterward. But um, in this families, you know, uh, you've got teenage kids and now you're, you, maybe you were stationed in Hawaii or you're stationed in Florida. And now you're going to the outback of Alaska somewhere and you're got to tell your teenage kids they have got another move coming. And, um, you know, just a lot of pressures like that. Pressures on, um, you know, marriage pressures are tough on ministers to start with. But if you're moving every two or three years uh, and you're not sure where that will be, you're you're far from family. You know, holidays come around and you don't you're not nowhere near grandparents. 
Um, a lot of, lot of pressures they face. Uh, and it's just different kind of ministry. And uh, probably the last thing may I just say is that, you know, um, with with uh, society, culture changing, mm-hmm. uh, wokeness, uh, political correctness being imposed upon chaplains, uh, there are some that are just saying it just, there's in various ways it gets more and more complicated trying to share the gospel and the, and the truth when you've, you've got a government organization overseeing your religious activity and how you do it. And so you just need to pray for them because they, they love Jesus. They really want to help uh, people to find peace with him. And yet you, you have a lot of hurdles you have to get over sometimes to be able to share truth with people in a way that's, you know, not, not seen it like you're opposing things on them or abusing your position. And uh, there's a lot of complications uh, to try to follow the rules and yet mm-hmm. follow Christ as your Lord at the same time. Yeah, I, I know that, that you spoke at this event, and, and that's a good part of, of why you're there. But do you find that these military chaplains are just looking for somebody who who will listen to them? I mean, it seems like you're almost more of a counselor than you are a speaker. Yeah, you know, and that's interesting because, like, my dad spoke to, you know, 40,000 pastors in a in a meeting, and he's written dozens and dozens of books, and, and certainly his influence has, has been uh, felt through those things. But, uh, but what I hear more than anything else from people, individuals, is that they'll come up and they'll say, yeah, I was at a conference where your dad spoke, um, and uh, we, we uh, a- after the serve after your dad preached, I I got in line and got to talk to him, and and uh, they'll they'll get all emotional and they'll say, those those ten minutes with your dad changed my life. And the interesting thing is they don't say the sermon he preached; <laughs> they'll say the ten minute conversation I had after the sermon, or I got to drive him to the airport after an event, and that conversation just totally changed the trajectory of my life. And so I've, I've just, I, I, I can't hardly go a week without someone telling me that, a, you know, offline kind of conversation with my dad is what was so influential. And so, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm a professional speaker. I do that all the time, but, uh, and I, and I, I'm not judging anybody, but a lot of times, uh, speakers will kind of breeze in in time to get up on the platform and deliver. And during the closing prayer, they're headed to the car to get out of there. And, uh, and I understand sometimes why people do that, but I've, I've really tried to make uh, part of my ministry like my dad's and just a ministry of presence and, and not just for chaplains. I, I find that a lot with pastors. Um, pastors are struggling, but they don't think they can talk to their own people mm-hmm. about their struggles. And they, if they were to talk to the pastor down the street, he's seen as a competitor. Uh, and so I'm, I, I often I'm seen as kind of a safe place, uh, I'm not competing with them. I'm not going to go call their, you know, denominational leader and tell on them. I'm just going to just try to help them seek God with them and and find hope. And uh, I'll tell you what, when you're doing that, you, you, you've always got a conversation going on. There's always someone that w- when they get to know that they can just talk with you. I, I can't tell you how many times I've had people just, and they're so grateful. They'll just say, I thank you for, you know, just this past week in the chaplain's meeting, I met a man and during after a talk and he said, I'd just love to talk with you a little bit. And I said, well, listen, why don't you just join me at my table and join me in dinner? Well, I saved a seat right next to me uh, at dinner and he, he showed up, he found me eventually and he went to sit across the table at an empty seat. And I said, oh no, I've, I've got this chair right here. You want to talk to me? I'm saving this. We can sit right next to each other. And I'd, he he was just so blown away. He just said, well, I, well, I, I can't believe that. I said, thank you. You <laughs> did you you put me right there beside you and I but I said well after all that you do the least I could do is give you some time and attention and um and so you know that that is I, I would just say to your listeners whether no matter what you do whether you're a speaker or you're a business person whatever you are if you become if known as a safe person a safe place you'll be amazed at how people will seek you out and just bend your ear uh because they know that uh you 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 give them your attention. You you listen to what they're saying, and then you have a word from God for them. And uh, I'll tell you what, you'll be busy all the time once word gets out that you're doing that. And and you have to be genuine 
as well. Uh, the last two yeah. or three years, God has opened uh, doors for me to go into churches and, and share my testimony and, and what he pulled me out of uh, 11 mm. and a half years ago. And invariably, I try to do the same thing. I try to hang around afterwards. I'm not in a hurry to get out of there. And, and almost without fail, there will be a, a man or two, because I speak a lot to the to the men's type of issues that I was succumbing to, alcohol and pornography and, and all of those things. And, and they'll come and say, you know, that was that was me. That's that's mm. that's who I was. And I've even had a, a, a woman or two in the past come up and say that sounds an awful lot like my testimony. And, and it's just mm. impressed on me, uh, Dr. Blackaby, that that there are people out there who are hurting yeah, and, and, oh, yeah. and, and they're, they're looking for someone they can connect with. Yeah. And you know, what I found is when you're, when you're vulnerable, when you share your own shortcomings, mm-hmm. and people have said that a lot about me, they'll I had someone the other day say, you know, I've noticed something about your speaking. They said, whenever you talk about your wife, you talk like she's a saint. And whenever you talk about yourself, you sound like a buffoon. <laughs> I said, well, I said, well, cause that's pretty well sums it up. I said, but, but you know, I, I know there's some people, especially Christian ministers who feel like they have to kind of present a tidy package that has it all together. But most people can't identify with that. But when you share a struggle, shortcoming, you, you face planted, uh, and you and God, by His grace, got you back up on your feet. Uh, then people line up to talk to you after mm-hmm. that. And so, I, I I sort of do a similar thing. And it, it has to be authentic. You can't just sort of people get tired of just hearing how bad you are all the time. But um, but at the same time, you when you do share kind of your 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 flesh, you bleed like everybody else. You get a bunch of bleeders who come up and they want to know how you found help because uh, they need it too. We're visiting with uh, Richard Blackaby, the president of Black, uh, Blackaby Ministries International. He has been a pastor. He's been a seminary president in the past. And, and now God has, as we were, have been talking, uh, seemingly called you, Dr. Blackaby, into leadership training. And, mm-hmm. and what, with what, what we've been discussing here, how, how did you pivot from what you were doing to, to getting into more leadership training, both in the church world and in the secular world? Well, there's several things. You know, when I when I uh, started out as a pastor, I, I'd had hours and hours of uh, of teaching in Hebrew and Greek and, and stuff that I wasn't going to use a whole lot of ever after. Uh, but I had a standard uh, ministerial training, and, and then I got to one of the most dysfunctional churches that uh, I'd ever encountered, and that was my first church. And um, and I tell you what, I, I didn't need more Hebrew to turn that thing around. I, I desperately needed to know how to lead. And this church had been in decline for seven years and filled with uh, dysfunctional people and leadership roles, uh, living in the past, uh, not knowing how to address uh, its current uh, problems. Uh, and I just hadn't been taught how to, to lead through that. And so fortunately, I was kind of uh, innately a leader, I guess, but uh, but I began reading like crazy. I began asking uh, seasoned pastors to have lunch with me so I could just pepper them with questions. And, and, I, and I just got on my own kind of leadership training track that I customized uh, to, to meet the needs that I had. And I just began to realize uh, you know, they say right now, like in the church, that uh, 70% or more of all churches are plateaued or declining. And what that tell and, the, and over 4,000 churches in America every year close their doors. And what that tells me, and most of those churches closing are not in rough areas. It's not like the whole community is shutting down. It's just the church is, is shutting down. And what that tells me is that... W- so much of the struggles in business and in church life and uh, in politics is a lack of leadership. It, people don't know how to lead. They they know how to hold a position. They know how to be the pastor. They just don't know how to lead a church. Uh, the politicians, they, they focus on holding office. They don't know how to solve problems. And so I just began to realize that leadership is the key. Uh, and and if you if you just learn how to lead at a higher level, you begin to get greater results. Uh, you begin to solve problems. 
And so our ministry has just focused more and more on that. We we could go church by church and try to encourage uh, members in the pew, but uh, but if we can help leaders, if we can help pastors, uh, we can help business leaders, uh, just take their leadership to the next level, then everybody downline from them begins to feel the the impact of that. And so, uh, so whether it's in the home, uh, you know, I, I tell people the greatest leadership role you'll ever have is to be a parent, uh, to navigate eternal souls entrusted into your care. Uh, they start out selfish, self-absorbed, uh, and make them godly, uh, God-honoring, parent-loving uh, uh, parents and adults. Uh, that that's a huge leadership role, and so uh, so more and more, I just see leadership as the key. And um, and so every chance I get, uh, I'm traveling around the world trying to just tell people. It, it doesn't mean you even need a complete overhaul, but uh, just take your level, your leadership just just one one degree higher. And it doesn't take much of an adjustment before you start to see the results. And so it's been fun for me. Uh, it's fun just investing in leaders and then watching all the people get blessed uh, because another leader grew. So when you speak at these conferences and, and you're investing in, in these pastors, when you get these groups together, what are some of the things you, you're hearing from the pastors that that you're mentoring, th- their biggest challenges or concerns that they're facing right now. Well, you know, I and I think if you really boiled it down, uh, th- there's just a, a, a couple that manifest themselves in different ways. And one of them is just dealing with people. <laughs> Leadership is a people business. I see people wanting to be leaders who don't necessarily care for people all that much. I don't know how you could do that. Uh, it is learning how to work with people of, of different stripes, working with people who are different than you, uh, learning how to just empathize with where your people are at, where they're struggling. Um, and so a lot of lot of uh, leaders will just complain, I've got this person on my team or they're on my elder board or a deacon. I just don't know how to connect with them or they, no matter what I do, it seems like it's the wrong thing with them. And uh, uh, dealing with conflict, um, uh, you know, having the courage uh, to sit down face to face with your critic and and address issues. Uh, so a lot of people issues, uh, certainly during COVID, uh, it, it ate a lot of pastors lunches with uh, people that all felt they were a bit more expert on the pandemic than the pastor was. And uh, and it it tore a lot of churches uh, apart. Um, and then just uh I think maybe one, two other ones, just re- leading a younger generation. Uh, you know, I dealing with a, a group of, uh, of baby boomer uh, business people, and I asked them, what's your greatest challenge right now? And they said, it's trying to work with millennials on down, uh, trying to help them learn how to lead. Uh, and churches will tell me the same thing. They'll say, you know, we, we try to get millennials on the on the board, on the church council, but they don't want to make any long-term commitments. They don't, I mean, their child may have a, a musical at Christmas time. They don't want to be tied up with a board meeting. And so getting, getting younger generations involved and leading, uh, th- what they're realizing is uh, that they just trying to figure out how to lead different kinds of people and different generations in particular uh, is, is huge for the church as well as for business today. As we get ready to wrap up here, I've got to ask you, you've written so many books, uh, both on your own and and with your dad, but I think the one that most people will connect with is uh, Experiencing God. And and, uh, the the seven realities of experiencing God is one of the the core tenements of our Sunday school class where I go Mm. to church. Um, Mm. Have you been... I don't know if surprised is the right word, maybe blessed. I mean, what, what's been your, your reaction to the reaction of that book uh, all these years later? Yeah. You know, my dad was uh, 55 years old when he wrote Experiencing God. And so he, he'd had a lot of ministry and he, he had uh, been speaking various places and, and, and we knew, uh, but he bit, but most of his ministry had been in Canada or in hard places on the frontier. And so, you know, people that knew him, uh, knew how profound his uh, teaching was, but a lot of people just never heard of him. And so I remember early on, just uh, as he would begin to get in, in front of audiences uh, to speak, uh, 
probably most people in the room had never even heard of Henry Blackaby before. But if I was there, I'd be, I would just be sitting there thinking, these folks don't know what kind of whirlwind they're just, they're about to encounter here, <laughs> you know? And uh, people will be kind of just sitting there like, oh, I don't know who, I haven't heard of this guy, you know, hope he's good. And then he, dad would start speaking and he wouldn't be a, a real loud, over the top, dynamic kind of personality, but you were just drawn in and I'd watch people. All of a sudden they'd be scrambling to get a piece of paper they could start writing notes with and get a pen and, and they'd be opening up their Bible and they'd be leaning in and, and uh, they would just be overwhelmed by the truth of what they were hearing. And so when that when that book came out, I knew full well that, um, boy, people are going to hear some stuff that they just haven't heard before. Uh, but I think our family still was um, a little taken back at just the the incredible response. You know, they for for years the 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 publisher could. I mean, they struggled just to print books fast enough. Uh, they'd never seen anything like it. I mean, it was it was unprecedented. The the publisher when it when that book came out, it was in a series, and 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 if they sold five thousand copies, then they would be happy. If it, in the, if it's in its lifetime, it sold five thousand, they could check the box and say, yeah, another successful run. Well, for a number of years, it was selling over five hundred thousand copies every year, mm. not just in a lifetime, and uh, they just. For a workbook, that was just unheard of to sell 8 million workbooks uh, in English, and it's in about 80 other languages besides that. Uh, I remember at one point the, the, the marketers, the, they, the, the publisher, went, they went to the marketers and said, um, how, how do you, what are you doing to market this book? Because it's selling like nothing we've ever, we've ever printed before. And uh, they, uh, interestingly, they said, well, I think we found a man with a message. And they realized we're not, it's not from our marketing. It's, there's a message here that just resonates. And so we, the family has been, you know, my, my dad and mom for years would sit in their chair in their living room and, and just smile and just say, just shake their heads and say, just, isn't it incredible what God has done? Uh, they, they knew full well it was God. God had a message and he found just an ordinary servant to deliver the message uh, with. And uh, our family's certainly been blessed as a result of that for, for all these years. Yeah, one, one of the things that I'm, I'm finding out in, in the infancy of this radio program uh, is we're coming to the uh, close of our first year being on the air. And, and, and even with the little bit of speaking that I get to do, um, you can't have a better booking agent than God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and when God starts transforming lives, word gets out. You know, people just say that that wasn't just a podcast I heard. That my life was changed by that, or that the, that program I heard on the radio. I that that God just did something through that, and you start telling people about it, and everybody else realizes, well, I need God to do something in me too. And so, yeah, that's that's definitely is what happened with uh, my dad's writing and teaching mm -hmm. and. So it's fun now. His grandkids are pastoring and teaching and and uh, presenting that material now, and so very transferable through the generations. And that that really gets exciting when you're you hear your grandkids uh, boldly teaching material that started with you. Yeah. You know, you God must have given you something pretty rich. Richard Blackaby, how can people find out more about what you are doing and and maybe find out if you're going to be speaking in their area so they can come and and get some of this teaching in person. How can they do that? Yeah, you can certainly go to our website, just blackaby.org. Uh, it's got our, our bookstore with all of our resources and uh, lots of different materials and, and ministries that we offer. And you can reach out and leave a message there, and, and someone on our staff will will get back to you if you say, hey, I live in you know St. Louis or Dallas or wherever, and is Richard going to be here anytime soon? And uh we, we can certainly let you know um, about that, and we 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 always love to connect with people when we're somewhere. I I I love to hear people's stories, and and uh, always am available to talk to folks if uh, if I'm speaking somewhere. We're thankful that Richard Blackaby took some time to speak with us, and even more thankful that when we had some significant internet problems, when we did the bulk of the interview uh, on his end to the point that his uh, computer crashed, 
he reached back out to me. I was just going to make do with what we had and do some quote-unquote clever editing. But he said, hey, I apologize. We can finish this if you want to. So we actually did the last 15 minutes of it earlier this week. Uh, Very kind on his part. Blackaby Ministries International. Check them out for everything that he is doing and they are doing. We'll come back, wrap it up, tell you about the Christmas project uh, from which we desperately need your help right after this. Teenage boys and young men today are in crisis. Statistics show that a home without a father or male role model present is the single biggest indicator of poverty, behavior issues, drug and alcohol abuse, criminal activity, and yes, imprisonment. At Grand Slam Ministries, one of our core missions is developing a mentorship program to teach boys how to become strong Christian men and then teach those men to be the biblical husbands, fathers, and church and community leaders the Bible calls us to be. We need your prayers, we need your ideas, and we need your support. Visit our website, grandslamministries.org, to find out more about our mentorship mission and prayerfully consider how you may be able to assist us. Again, that website is grandslamministries.org. Follow us on social media. Search Grand Slam Ministries on Facebook and Grand Slam for God on Twitter. And don't forget Dan's personal and public figure sites on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You're listening to The Dan Scott Show, presented by Grand Slam Ministries. Final segment of the show. Again, our thanks to Richard Blackaby from Blackaby Ministries International for being this week's guest. Only got a couple of minutes, so I've got to do this quickly. I've mentioned the past two episodes or so that we were looking for a family or two to help this Christmas in the area that we are based out of in the upstate of South Carolina. And we were able to focus in on a couple of families. One Uh, The need has already been met, but the second one, and we just got the information this week, is a significant undertaking. We're talking about a family with eight children ranging in ages from four to 20. I have spoken with the mother of this family. Uh, She and her husband are are doing the best they can. They're God-fearing people from what I can ascertain. Uh, the the situation has been fully vetted through the guidance counselor at a local high school. I would not do it otherwise. And we're told that all of these children are just top-notch kids, great students, very respectful, kind, uh, and they're just in a, a tough financial situation. So I'm asking you, in the the minute or so we have left, would you please consider helping us? Because we're talking about a family of 10 people with some significant needs, not just wants for Christmas, but needs. Everything from housing repairs to you name it, across the board, clothing, food. This is a, a serious situation. Will you consider stepping forward and helping us? Please prayerfully consider doing that because this is going to be an undertaking financially that is beyond what we were anticipating. But God has brought us this family, and I believe he's going to provide. Dan at danscottshow.org is the email address. danscottshow.org is the website. You can go there. There's a tab where you can click and make a donation, and it's tax deductible. It will automatically uh, generate a tax receipt for you. So prayerfully consider helping us. It's got to be done in the next couple of days because Christmas is this weekend coming up. Help us out, would you? We'll talk to you again next week. God bless you. Thank you for listening. I'm Dan Scott. So long, everybody.